Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to James 5, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, But your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we study your word, as I preach your word, that you would anoint my lips, that you would bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. I pray that the preaching of your word would would affect our hearts and our minds that our minds would dwell upon this word, our hearts would be changed, and that we would be doers of your word and not merely hearers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. We at Trinity Presbyterian Church preach at times the law, right? We that's not, uh, it's not something that a lot of churches give themselves to in the preaching of the law, but uh, it is to neglect uh, a fair portion of the word if you don't preach the law of God. Um, Luther, Martin Luther, who we, you know, we think of as the, the man who rediscovered the doctrine of justification and the doctrines of grace and, uh, you know, preached that, um, that wonderful um, doctrine of justification that we believe in, uh, also urged the pastors of, his, of the parishes in Germany and around to preach the law as well. And so they would, they would send, they weren't Presbyterian, right? So they didn't have the, the biblical form of government. government. Um, but they did send pastoral visitors, they called them, out to the churches of the area and more or less had this form that they filled out. And one of the questions is, you know, is, is the Bible being preached? Are the doctrines of grace being preached? Is, you know, justification being preached? And then they also ask the question, is the law of God being preached in the church? And, and so there are times when I think it's good for us just to straight up uh, come at a text that is law. It's a no from God, right? And um, we're junkies for yes, right? We, we, we get so high on yeses and grace today. And we, we uh, look down upon the nose, but um, uh, what, uh, you know, Hebrews 12, etc., etc., Scripture um, tells us that God is a Father, and as a Father, He gives us both encouragement and correction. He gives us both yes and no. And so, I, for various reasons, I wanted to come back to this passage um, in James and bring it to our attention. It's very simple what's stated here. Your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no. It's a very simple concept. Um, You will recall that Jesus said essentially the very same thing that James writes in, in this verse. It seems that James was meditating on a teaching of his brother, his Savior, Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make, for, make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, Or no, no, anything beyond these is of evil. So James is drawing this teaching of Jesus into his letter, and the topic he's addressing is oaths. Oaths, vows, taking solemn oaths and vows. 
Um, oaths or vows are designed to limit lying and deceit. Uh, a topic that James has been addressed that James addresses throughout his letter, right? The tongue and deceitful tongue. You remember his strong warnings about the wickedness of the tongue back in chapter three, right? As far as vows and oaths are concerned today, we use them at a number of different times and in a number of different ways. If we testify in a court, we make a promise, a vow to do what? To tell the truth, right? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, It used to be that a hand was placed upon the Bible when making that vow, uh, that convention, I believe, is, is uh, it's still probably effective in some courtrooms, but probably not in others. And um, we see political offices also begin with uh, an oath of office. Immigrants who want to come into this country and become uh, citizens of the United States take an oath of allegiance, which says this, I hereby declare on oath that I am absolutely and entirely that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or, or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the constitution of the laws of the United States of America against all enemies foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. Those, that's the oath that somebody takes upon citizenship. And, and what you don't know as, a, as maybe a naturally born citizen is that all applies to you too, all right? But they have to state it here. We take vows during marriage ceremonies, right? Mike and Elena, fresh. You probably even still remember them. Um, the whole of the marriage ceremony is called the solemnization of the marriage. You're solemnizing vows in this public service of worship where witnesses are gathered to hear those vows you've made and the party is the primary line of defense. Should the couple break those vows, that party should come to them and say, we were witnesses at your wedding, you've broken your vows, repent. But then there's also everybody else who is there as a second line of defense uh, in broken vows. Uh, think, of the, think of signing various contracts for, in a business setting. All of those are oaths and vows, right? Contracts. You are promising things, you're being promised things in return, and there are consequences if you break those vows. Um, These vows, these contracts, these oaths are legally binding. In the church, our officers take vows. Uh, members Members also take vows when they come into membership or when they or their children are baptized. There are further vows that are taken. In the Old Testament, vows were made to the Lord, right? Numbers 30 Uh, verse 2 says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Very simple. If you make a vow, you're obligated to keep it. Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of the Lord of your God. I am the Lord. All these are promises, right? And fundamental to them are these things. First, they, they must be made soberly and without deceit. 
right? Sober, sober-minded, you know what you're vowing when you make it, and you're not just deceiving to get the end product. You're not lying about it. Second, they're made before God, right? All of them, all contracts, all vows, all, all oaths are made before God, who is a God of truth. Third, they must be fulfilled. You have an obligation to fulfill those vows that you have made. We have a solemn duty when we make vows because they're made before God who hates lying. He hates lying. As with all things, we we have a tendency to pervert them, to find a way out of binding obligations, right? To find a loophole. Much of the legal industry exists to find loopholes in vows, oaths, contracts. Right? That is how the lawyer makes his money. In Israel, as we learned from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, many would take vows not before God or in his name, but before God's throne. As our text says in James, uh, many would take a vow by heaven. Or take a vow by earth. And what that all meant was they were just trying to find a way to make those oaths and vows less binding. Okay? They were building in loopholes by vowing on other things. And sort of forcing God out of the picture. Jesus teaches us that even making these oaths before heaven or earth invokes God because he made heaven and earth, right? So you can, you can play your games, he's saying, but God made those things that you're vowing on, and so you're, you're essentially making these vows before God. So what they thought was a loophole was no loophole at all. The other thing that should be said is that, that oaths imply something else. Oaths imply or oaths exist because people lie and deceive. Right? That's, that's the fundamental human condition, right? That is the sin that, that dwells within us. People are prone to lie and deceive. And so all men, all people need this accountability. In an instant, you can be tempted to lie, Right? In an instant, it comes upon you that whew, the only way I can get out of this situation quick is to, to deceive right now, right now. I've got to do it right now. Um, in an instant, you can be tempted to lie, and it, it's, it's like that um, fight or flight response in us that comes up. Um, someone says something or asks questions and the wheels start turning. How will I get out of this? And so the quickest way for us to deal with this is to lie and deceive. We're all prone to this. And that's why we solemnize oaths. That's why we, there are consequences to the breaking of oaths. That's why it's a serious and sober thing that we enter into. And now we're, we're getting to the core of the issue with James and Je- of, of what James and Jesus are saying. If we were men and women of our word, this is what James and, and Jesus, I think what it boils down to. If we were men of our, and women of our word, we would need no oaths at all. Or rather, everything we said would be a solemn oath before God. Even just saying yes means yes. Even saying no means no. Right? And so there, in, in a sense, I think what Jesus and James echoing him are saying is they're not saying no oaths. Right? Don't, don't do oaths. I mean, look at our Book of Church order. I mean, oaths are a, part, a legitimate part of worship. And so everybody has read this passage, and it's not that they're saying no oaths. What they're saying is everything you say is an oath before God. It's very serious what you say. Even if you say yes to somebody, you better mean that yes. So everything, absolutely everything you say, you are making an oath and God hears you. God hears your words. If we, uh, we, 
One commentator I was reading said, we should tell the truth so consistently that our oaths become superfluous, a waste of words. We should just, it should all be truthful. Our yes is to be yes, our no, no. So in other words, all that we say in a sense, all that we promise, all that we commit to is a solemn vow before God. Our yes is to be yes, our no, no. Should we be living in the fear of God, our word would be all that is required. Just our word. Should we be living rightly, we would not need to make lesser oaths and vows to lesser things, knowing that all we say, every last word, is a spoken oath before God. As Jesus said, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word is not just swept away, is not just overlooked, but God says, I'm going to judge everybody based upon every careless word. If that is true about careless words, how much more true is it of careful words? Those words we use when making solemn promises, oaths, and vows. Those when we make solemn oaths before witnesses, publicly, during a worship service of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Holy Spirit is present and active. How much more serious is that? Every thoughtless and careless word God will judge you for, but, but every solemn vow taken... God will judge you for. So, some points of application from this. Here are ways that our yes will be yes and our no, no. First, remember the vows you've taken before God. Have you taken vows? Remember them. You made a solemn promise before God. And you must you must actively be seeking to fulfill those vows. Take the time to remind yourself of the promises you've made. Look them up. Review them. Read them again. Look at the specific wording. Examine yourself. Go back and refresh your memories. Right? What business contracts have you made that you need to go back and refresh your memory to see if you are fulfilling the obligations that you made before God? Or, if you're, or discover that you're breaking contracts. Marriage vows, right? If you didn't get married in a, in a soft church, there was a difference in the vows between you, the husband and the wife, right? If you went to a PCA church, likely they made them gender neutral, right? How many, how many churches services have I gone to where, where they, they destroy the vows that are based upon Scripture? And you guys know the difference, Right? The marriage vows are this, I, the groom, take you, the wife, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, notice that, to love and to cherish, till death us do part, according to God's holy ordinance, and to this vow I pledge my faithfulness. That's the one the man takes. And the woman says, I, name of bride, take you, name of groove, to be my lawful wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, cherish, and to obey. To obey. Till death us do part, according to God's holy ordinance, and to this vow I give you my faithfulness. Now isn't that interesting? Right? The end of the vow is the woman pledging to, to the husband, I give you my faithfulness. The husband makes his pledge before, more directly, God. He says, and to this, I pledge my faithfulness. There's, there's a built-in deference of, and orientation of the woman to the man, even in the words of the vows. Did you know that? Have you studied them? Did you know that that's... And, and these are the old, these are the vows old as dirt. This is straight from Cranmer's 1540-something liturgy. You know? 
What about membership vows? You've taken membership vows, solemn vows of membership before the Lord. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life? Two, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath and without hope, apart from his sovereign mercy? You wouldn't imagine how many times the elders go to somebody and admonish them, and suddenly they're no longer a sinner. Even though they've vowed before God that they're a sinner, justly deserving God's wrath. Third, do you believe the Bible consisting of the Old and New Testaments to be the infallible Word of God and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Four, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the Gospel? Five, do you now resolve and promise and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live, a, to live as a faithful follower of Christ? Six, do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability to submit yourself to its government and discipline and to strive for its purity and peace? Solemn vows. But as soon as any heat comes, as soon as any difference comes, as soon as you start flirting with an idol that can give you what you want sensually, right? When you want to combine Jesus with your idols and the elders come to you and say, no, 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 you can't do that, it's sin. And don't you remember the vows you took before God? Shall you break them? What about ordination vows? Pastors, elders, deacons take ordination vows. And there's a further solemnizing of that event by the laying, of, laying on of hands with prayer. Right? And what are the pastors' vow? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the infallible word of God, which is the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you want a pastor who believes that the word of God contains some truth? No, you want a pastor who, who believes that the Word of God is infallible and is the only right, rule. The only infallible rule. B, do you sincerely receive and adopt the confessions of faith and the catechisms of this church as the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will on your own initiative make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. In other words, if, if I study something and I become convinced that the, the Westminster Confession of Faith is wrong, I have to take it to the presbytery and then the presbytery can say, you're out of here. I have to submit my doctrine and my beliefs to the presbytery and they, can, and they are a court that can judge me and they can say, no, that's okay. Um, other men have taken that exception. Or they can say, no, that strikes at the fundamentals. You're going to have to find, you can't work in evangel presbytery anymore. C, do you approve the of the government and discipline of evangel presbytery as being in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? D, do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? E, have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? I mean, think of that question. The worldly ambitious man sometimes wants to occupy the pulpit in the tall steeple church. How can he take that vow? Right? How can he honestly take that vow that he's done this from love to God and not love of money? F, do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account. Persecution comes, you're going to have to be faithful. You're vowing that before the Lord. G, do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary 
piety before the flock of which God shall make you overseer? And then finally, are you now willing to take charge of this church, agreeable to your declaration when accepting their call? And do you, relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge to it the duties of a pastor? And the, the, for elders and deacons, those, those vows that I just read for pastors are very similar, right? Do you receive the scriptures of the Old Testament? Do you receive the confession of faith and the catechisms as the system of doctrine? Do you approve of the government and discipline? Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life? And to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? All those serious vows that some men here have taken. God will hold you to account on each one of those. The vows at baptism. We make parents take vows when they baptize their children. Right? Solemn vows that God will judge you for. And, and those vows are, are these. Do you reaffirm your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? A reaffirmation of just basic faith. Do you believe in Jesus? We want you to reaffirm that. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Right? Your child's your child, no matter how cute and precious and how red their hair is, right, is born in sin. Do, you, do they need salvation just as you need it, even now at eight days old? Right? Do you claim God's covenant promises in his or her behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his or her salvation as you do for your own? Right? Do you claim those covenant promises that God will be a God to us and to our children? Do you claim those and proclaim it publicly right? and look, look to Jesus for that child's salvation? Fourth, the long one, do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promised in humble reliance upon God's grace that you will seek to set before them a godly example that you will pray with and for them, that you will teach them the doctrines of our holy, holy religion, that you will strive by all the tools which God has given us to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Woo! Parents, are you teaching your children the Word of God? You made a vow before God to do that. Right? Are you reading the Word of God to them? Are you teaching them what it says? Are you... Are you um, sitting around the dinner table and doing that work, no matter how brief a time you have, right? And then the congregation, right, all the baptisms we've had of children, the congregation has taken vows as well. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? How, what does that obligate each of you to? You know? I mean, have you considered the fact that, man, I, I, I made a vow to, to assist the Braggs raise Samuel and Matthew. And God's going to remember it and God's going to judge me for that. Have I assisted, you know, have I assisted Nathan and Jamie? Have I done that? Have I talked to them? Have I, have, I, um, have I told them something that I read in the Word, right, that was very helpful to me and, and shared that? Have I inquired about how I can pray for them? Have I done these things? Well, if you haven't, you, you're breaking your vows. And then there are promises in general. Okay, so those are solemn vows. But then we make promises all the time, don't we? We promise we're going to do something, Right? Um, I'll have the proposal for a new janitor for the building by Wednesday next week. We make promises like that. And our yes is to be yes and our no is to be no, right? There are providential hindrance, all those things, we, we know that, but our yes is to be yes. If you have promised your children Dairy Queen after dinner, 
go to Dairy Queen after dinner. Don't be rash in making those, those sorts of promises. Those can just fall off the tongue really easily. And then you realize Dairy Queen is going to cost $38 for the Dion family. And it's like we have $45 in the bank. Um, you know, but those promises, kids remember, and young children especially, remember those promises you've made. Right? And we've all, we've all broken those promises or neglected them or tried, tried to not make mention of them again and hope our children forget. Um, if you, conversely, if you have promised your child a spank for doing this or that, you better fulfill the promise you have made. Okay? If you have promised a spank for a certain kind of offense... Fulfill your vow. Fulfill your promise. Okay, second application. If we have made, made oaths, made vows, and they are not rash oaths or rash vows, we should keep them even when it hurts. Okay? Now, what is a rash oath? That is an oath that would obligate you to sin if you kept it. That's the, the simple, quick definition of a rash oath. If you keep it, you will be sinning against God. It is not, um, and so that happens when we quickly or rashly take an oath. It may obligate us to do something that we haven't thought through, right? And that may obligate us to sin. If these vows, if, if we then discover, right, for me to fulfill these vows would obligate me um, to sin, they should not be kept. They should be instantly broken. It is not a faithful vow. They should be set aside, right? But if the vow, um, if the vow does not obligate us to sin, it may not be set aside, right? It should not be rescinded. It should be kept. Jephthah is the the preeminent example of a rash vow, right? And there are many ways that people get around this passage and say he didn't sacrifice his daughter at the end, that she went and lived a, a monastic life. It's just not what the text says. The only problem with that view is it's not what the text says explicitly. He sacrificed his daughter, right? And so he made that vow that the first thing he, when he returns from victory, the first thing he sees, he will sacrifice to the Lord, that's a rash vow. It would obligate him uh, quite likely to sin, right? And so uh, his daughter walks out the door. He, he wished it would have been a goat or a sheep. But his daughter walks out, and he ended up sacrificing his daughter, and that's both murder and human sacrifice, two things forbidden by the law of God. A rash vow is, is also not this. A rash vow is not a vow that's painful to keep. Because that's one of the ways we'll weasel out of it. Really, this, I mean, it's, this is so painful that God wouldn't want me to, to keep this vow. right? It's so painful and, and God doesn't want us to suffer. Right. Right. Like his son suffered. Um, many, perhaps every vow you ever take, every promise you make at some level is, is suffering, is difficult, is hard, right? That, that does not remove the obligation to honor God by keeping them. Psalm 15 uh, describes a citizen of Zion. This is how the citizens of Zion live. Psalm of David, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, he, nor does he does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He, does, he who does these things will never be shaken. Right? That one verse in there, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. 
when we have made promises that looked pleasing and good for us initially, but which turn out to be burdensome to us, that is when we want to hire the lawyer, right? When we want to find the loophole. Um, that's when, when we want to say, this is too painful, I cannot keep this. But citizens of Zion keep those oaths and those vows, even when it's painful. Um, I, remember, I remember back as we were leaving our church in Toledo, Ohio, where we were before, that they had a capital campaign, and we had made a significant promise to that capital campaign. I had a thousand reasons why I shouldn't fulfill my commitment to that capital campaign. We had a house we knew we weren't going to be able to sell. We were moving to some new place where we we're going to have all kinds of expenses. That house was on our, you know, we paid for that house for two years after we moved here, right? So uh, rent plus house payments, all those things. Um, and, and so it, it just wasn't prudent, right, for us to fulfill that obligation to a capital campaign in a building that we would never occupy, right? Beautiful new building that I would, you know, I'd served the church and I was leaving right as it was being built. I would never, you know, my name wasn't going to be on one of the doors. I'm not going to give money to that, right? Uh, all these loopholes I could have found. And, and, you know, the pressure that my wife was, was putting on me as well. You know, and I said, no, we made a promise. We fulfilled this vow. And so our tax returns for the next three years, you know, went to Christ the Word Church in Toledo. And we fulfilled that, that vow and because we made that promise before God. Now, I could give a ton of other examples where I, I broke promises, right? Where I did not fulfill the tasks that were given to me in a job. Um, where, I, where I promised something to my children and backed out because I was just cranky, right? We can, I can give examples of where I've failed in this and had to repent. Um, when you came under contract with your employer, think of this, you made promises to do what was written in your job district, descriptions. Uh, do you do those things or have you established your own routine that works for you which gives you some space. Um, do you remember that God knows about those promises? What you are to accomplish in this? What hours you said you would work? What websites you said you would not visit on the work computers? Right? Um, what, what lengths the breaks were to be? What time... Uh, was supposed to be spent on each task, how efficient you were supposed to be at each of those tasks. And all those things, as Christians, were to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Even when it hurts, even when it's very painful. If you tell your brother you're going to be there at 7 p.m., do not arrive at 7.25. I mean, I'm a little bit hyperspastic about this one. Um, there, are th there are triggers for me, and people not being on time, I'm habitually early, right? And so I, I look down on everybody who's late. And just, I just like, is your life so chaotic that you can't leave 10 minutes earlier? You know, but again, I'm just exposing my sinfulness here. Um, that, that's for free. Um, but if you tell somebody, th this is... This is what we have agreed upon. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do it with the easy things, right? I mean, you're taking a vow to submit to your elders here in membership. That's difficult. We realize how difficult it is to submit to sinful men in church discipline. It's very difficult, right? But I'll meet you at 6 o'clock. Not difficult. But God heard you make that promise. Fulfill it. Be a man of your word, right? Be a man of your word. And if God puts obstacles in and you can't get there at 6 p.m., then you should be texting that person at 5.59 and telling them what God has done <laughs> by, you know, putting a giant fireball descending from the heaven in front of you. 
If you said you were going to pray for somebody, pray. The best thing to do is to stop and pray at that moment and never to say, I'll pray for you, but to say, let's pray together right now so that you don't break this promise. Keep the promise and keep it quickly. Let your yes be yes and your no be no when you say you're going to pray for a brother or sister. If you vowed to submit to the government discipline of the church, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Third, another application. Anonymity is the enemy of letting your yes be yes and your no be no. It is on face value not owning up to your words. Anonymity. right? Unless you're in a situation where your testimony will put you in the witness protection program, you should own all the things that you say. Right? There, will be dire, there may be dire circumstances where anonymity will protect your life, but most of us have never be, even been close to a situation like that. Okay? But we cloak our words with anonymity and give ourselves to um, a, a, uh, the bravado that comes from our name not being placed with our words. Right? What, what, what joy there is when you can write an anonymous letter to your pastor and just drag him through the mud. I have gotten a number of wonderful letters like that. I've got them in a stack somewhere in my office. Um, I can share them with you because they're anonymous. I mean, so... But that's what we do. We do that on social media, right? We'll, we'll, we'll veil ourselves. Um, we'll do that on blog uh, comments. Anonymity creates distance between you and your words. And you can no longer, your yes can't be yes and your no can't be no. You just give free reign to, to every, every unhinged thought that, that has gone through your head. Um. I mean, how often have I seen people publish things on blogs that are full of boldness, confidence, accusation, pride because they're posting anonymously? <laughs> weak. So weak. They said things in anonymity that they would never say if they had to attach their names to their statements. Okay? If they had to own their statements and defend what they were saying, that's dishonest. That's cowardly speech. Right? And is... is is not close to an attempt to let your yes be yes and your no be no. But God sees. God knows who wrote those anonymous words. And you'll be judged for it. You may fall into judgment, is what the text says. Four, we should always speak as if in the presence of God. That is the real point of this passage. The oaths we have taken are in... Uh, are an accommodation of our sinful hearts and should be unnecessary if we simply let our yes be yes and no be no because God is there. God is present every time you speak, every time you think. God is present, right? This, and so keeping promises, however formal or informal, because, uh, because God is present, God is judged, God is witnessing all of these these words. God is expecting truthfulness and, and integrity and has given us, if we are in the Lord, the spirit of truth to reside within us, to guide us into this. Jesus Christ is our example, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, let, let us remember that everything in our lives and conversation is in God's presence and may indeed be the thing which will determine what others will think of God. Your words, if you're a Christian and you're, you're not hiding that fact, which is ridiculous in and of itself, right? If you're not hiding the fact that you're a Christian, your words, right, will determine what other people think about God. That's the power of the tongue. In the, power, in, in the tongue is the power of life and death. Do as you say you will. Don't do as you say you will. You won't. Follow through on your promises to your government, to your employers, to your spouse, to your children, to your friends. Say everything as if in the presence of God because it is in the presence of God who is everywhere. 
When our no is yes and our yes is no, and when you break Solomon's, you are breaking two commandments. You're breaking two commandments, not just one. The easy one to think of is, is which one? Which commandment? Number nine. What's number nine? Yeah, bearing false witness. Breaking your promises is lying. You said you would do something, you don't do it, right? You're lying. What, what other commandment do we break when we break solemn oaths, when we break our word? Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Yeah. Heard somebody. Third commandment. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Right? Taking the Lord's name in vain. When, the, when we ask the Almighty God to bear witness to a vow, we testify that he is omniscient and able to see every point at which we break or keep an oath. Moreover, we witness to his omnipotence, confessing that he can and will deal with us even if no one else disciplines us for breaking a promise, right? And so, in other words, in many promises, particularly the solemn ones during worship services, worship service, we are invoking God's name when we make that promise, right? We, we say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit at the end of those things. We invoke His name, right? And so, that, and so breaking those vows is to, is to drag God's name through the mud. Never vow anything rashly. Never promise anything that you do not intend to fulfill. Calvin says... For in nothing ought we to be more serious than in the duties of religion. In vows, then, our first precaution must be never to proceed to make any vow without having previously determined in our conscience to attempt nothing rashly. We have to be prepared to not rashly take those vows. And finally, I, I, I'm going to close here. This is the last thing I want to say, but I just wanted to stick out. Never take a vow of celibacy. It's a rash vow by nature, right? Do not renounce marriage, right? Unless you have the extraordinarily rare gift of singleness, which is the gift of chastity, right? Not celibacy. It's the gift of chastity. It's the gift of self-control of the body, not of celibacy, right? If you have the gift of chastity, then, then um, then God has given you the gift of singleness and you will be useful to his kingdom and you won't be tied up in the cares of the world. And that's a wonderful thing, okay? But these vows of celibacy that we hear so much about, particularly in the revoice movement today, which is carving out this space for celibate gay Christians, as they call themselves, um, to, to uh, rage with lust, but then make a vow of celibacy. To rage with a complete lack of chastity, but then to make a vow of celibacy is a rash vow. It's a rash vow. It will, it will lead... Um, it makes them renounce the word of God, which is to say that if you burn, you should marry. Scripture is very clear on that. It's just a point blank statement. If you burn, you should marry. Okay? Um, and so th this, this whole commitment to celibacy, I mean, we could, go, we could have fun if we went back to the Institutes and read what, what Calvin says about celibacy and the whole monastic vows and the Roman Catholic ideas of celibacy. But we're having to, re, we're having to rethink that because of the whole revoice movement today and this, the, the gay identity that they're claiming to, not at all saying they're free from lust and, and chaste, but then claiming that they're still Orthodox Christians because they've made a vow of celibacy. It's just, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wickedness. It, it is a commitment to breaking God's word. Therefore, it's rash and should not be kept. 
So what do I say to somebody who, who struggles with homosexual temptation and is filled with, with um, passion? I say, yeah, get married. Get married to someone of the opposite sex. Let be me clear. That's the only kind of marriage there is, but I have to be careful, right? Right? Get married. Get married. Be responsible as a man. Be responsible as a woman. Obey the sex that God made you. Right? And if he hasn't supplied the gift of chastity, then the obligation from the Word of God is there. Calvin on celibacy says, How can they presume to shake off the common feelings of their nature for a whole lifetime? Seeing the gift of continence is often granted for a certain time, as occasion requires. In such perverse conduct, they must not expect God to be their helper. Let them rather remember the words, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God. But it is to tempt the Lord to strive against the nature implanted by him to spurn his present gifts as if they did not appertain to us. This they not only do, speaking of of Roman Catholic priests, right? But marriage, which God did not think it unbecoming his majesty to institute, which he pronounced honorable in all, which Christ our Lord sanctified by his presence and which he deigned to honor with his first miracle, they presume to stigmatize as pollution. So extravagant are the terms in which they eulogize every kind of celibacy, as if in their own life they did not furnish, listen to this, as if in their own life they did not furnish a clear proof that celibacy is one thing and chastity another. Right? In other words, Calvin is seeing them with this vow of celibacy and they're not chaste at all, right? I mean, read about medieval priesthood, okay? Read about it. They, they were not chaste, right? And so, um, apply Calvin's words to this, this situation we're in today and it's, it's, it's uncanny, Right. All right, I'll end. Um, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Be, be men and women of your word. If you have taken vows, review those vows you've taken so that you can be sure that you're keeping them. Because if you don't and you live a life, a pattern of making promises and breaking them, you will fall into judgment. You will make shipwreck of your faith. Your conscience will be so bothered by the fact that you took vows before witnesses and then broke them that you will do anything to silence your conscience. Right? And whiskey will silence the conscience. And you'll become a drunkard. Just to silence your conscience that's screaming at you that you took vows and you broke them. Right? And you, you will make shipwreck of your faith. And so, so review those vows and then ask God to make you faithful to them, which will be very difficult, right? Ask God to supply the strength and the faith to be faithful to the vows you've made.